Father God, I thank you for today. I, um, I thank you just for this church and the family here. And uh, we do just pray, God, that you would increase our numbers, not that we would have a bigger church, but just that there would be more people in your kingdom. And I pray, God, that um, the words I speak today would not be my words, but your words, and uh, that you would open the ears to hear, that uh, you would will, and just that, um, that hearts would turn towards you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, um, so let's see. I'm, I, I honestly type way too many words, and I'm going to do my best not to read them all verbatim, as tempting as that is. And, and I had something assist me today. You can see I printed it out, and my printer's just dying on me. I need a new ink thing. So if I squint a little, that's why it also will hopefully encourage me not to... Um, to read too closely to the script. But um, uh, I, I think I'm going to just start with one small update. If you recall last time, I told you about Terrence the turtle. Does anybody remember that? I actually found out what happened to Terrence. Last I saw Terrence, Terrence was walking at Sturgis graduation on somebody's hat, strapped to the top of it. Um, and that student said, oh, I'll give him to you later. I'll go, you know, and, and so Terrence is probably at college now. Um, so, um, okay. Um, so here's how I want to start. Uh, and I'm, I'll start with the script and then I'm hopefully going to get off of it. Uh, do you ever think about heaven? I do. And sometimes when we're in the middle of worship, I like to close my eyes and just listen. Maybe sing as well. And I think to myself, especially if I'm not like feeling sick or whatever, and I think to myself, this might be exactly like a certain moment in heaven. And I love that. I just love that. But I, I wanted to um, kind of start with that idea of thinking about heaven because I want to share with you something that I've imagined. And I want to be clear, it's just kind of an imagining. There's nothing special about that. There is some you know, scripture behind to kind of give the framework, but, but let me share it with you. Okay. Um, so someday, I don't know when, We'll all, every last one of us, stand before the judgment seat. Now imagine you're there, and you're looking about, and you see such a diversity of people, rich, poor, ancient, modern, every tribe and tongue. Then, as the word discusses, you see the great white throne and the one sitting upon it. And you do not wonder who it is. You just know. What was once veiled has now been revealed. Okay, there are two places in scripture that give rise to this vision. The first is in Matthew 25. And, and I, um, I'm, I have kind of a big chunk of scripture, but that's kind of later down. You're welcome to go there if you want. You're also welcome to just to listen along, whatever works. Um, so Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, it says uh, this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And for the moment, my only commentary to that is that you know, heaven is not that woolly. There's not that many sheep. We're actually the sheep, um, hopefully, or the goats. We're, we're the animals in this. The second comes from Revelation. Um, 
And it's very near the end of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, so it's very near the end of the Bible. Um, and there it says in chapter 20, verse 11, we're starting at verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and, the death, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. And that's about all we have. And so the rest of it, this little picture here, is, is just me kind of imagining around, me looking at that moment. And, and the key thing I want you to realize is that in that moment, one thing will become apparent to all of us. There's God, right there. And all those wonderings and all those doubts and everybody's interpretations, I think in that moment, uh, they won't be there anymore. So, um, let me just kind of pull this, this image a little bit farther for you for a second, okay? Um, so you look about you and suddenly you see someone you knew in your past life very well. That person was a great many things in that life, but that life is starting to feel a lot like a shadow cast by this exact moment. And that person did not believe in Jesus. Maybe they hated Christianity. Maybe they were comfortably ambivalent. Maybe they professed to be a Christian. But in that moment, by some unearthly intuition, you just know, and they do too. For a moment, you greet each other joyfully, and then you realize that there is no more room for small talk. It's not even possible to comment on the weather. So out pops a question. So you, you knew this was going to happen? And you respond, I suppose I did. Why didn't you tell me, comes the response. Well, I think I tried to. That other person nods, granting that it was true. You had tried. Then says, ah, I wish you had tried with a little more conviction. And that's where my little imagination of that moment stops. Um, and if that feels super emotional and poignant, then please know that's not actually my intent. Um, this is not a sermon about what you should say to other people. Really, this is a sermon about me taking a moment uh, right now to say some things, not just to you, but uh, to some people that I wish I had said it. And um, I titled this sermon, What I Wish I Said. And um, it's, I, I think it's going to be an enjoyable sermon because it's got a whole bunch of stories in it, people that I've met and, and conversations that I've had and my reflections on those conversations and my reflections on this idea of conviction. And, and I sometimes struggle with this idea, like, if I believe what this book says, well, it influences everything. It, it changes everything. And, um, and so uh, it frustrates me how much I say to myself, I know I should say such and such to that person, but now's just not an appropriate time. And, and I, I'm not saying that, that you know, 
by all means, be polite. There are definitely moments where if you say things, it's just not going to sound very nice. Um, so keep that in mind. But also at the same time, think of the weight of the thing that we believe in. And, and ask yourself, what conviction, how much do I believe in that? Um, and again, I, I can't stress enough, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm interested in the real, not the dramatic. Uh, but I suppose the truth is that sometimes those two things intersect. Okay, so let me just contextualize just a smidge more and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into these, uh, these conversations. And, and I'm, I did my best, you actually can see again, yellow is highlighted scripture. I really think that's really important no matter what we say, especially from the pulpit. Is it grounded in the word? Can we bring it back to that? So, um, but once I heard about a person who was beginning to feel suicidal and, um, and I think in a way that's what made me, made me pick to talk about this today. Um, and I think that I actually had another sermon idea, which I'm sure would have been fabulous, probably better than this, but I, I feel like honestly, this is what I needed to say today. Um, and, and I think that it might not even be, it might be, it might be somebody here, but I love the fact that this is being recorded and, and it might be some other person that I will never meet. And it might be some other time. It might be, oh, how wonderful would it be if it was one of the people, those conversations that I've had in the past. And it's just like almost that I wish I had a do-over after being in front of the judgment seat of the throne of God Almighty. Can I go back and say what I really meant to say? That's the idea. And so, so this person, I, I just, uh, when I heard that they were feeling suicidal, which is a very real thing, you know, that's, that's a realness at a level that we have to deal with. And, and I thought some things, and I wouldn't even say they were all nice things. I felt some pity. I felt a little bit of vindication. And, and then I felt some compassion. And I thought to myself, that person just needs Jesus. Not in a corny way, not in some trivial way, not in I told you so way, in a real, real way. And uh, this whole sermon is, is that idea, not just that one person, but just like what I want to say to you, that listener. Do you know anyone like that? Someone who is suffering and needs Jesus? If you don't, then what rock have you been hiding under? Um, and let me be clear. I know that's what that person needs because that's exactly what I need. I am with Peter who says in the Gospels, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of, excuse me, let me repeat. You have the words that give eternal life. Now that is a statement with conviction. And if I may confess something to you, there have been many times where I've lacked that kind of conviction. And my purpose in this moment is to, to kind of dredge that back out. Um, and in that way, the sermon is perhaps not as much for you. Apologies, there you are, you're my sitting audience and I'm saying I'm not even talking to you, but, but maybe it is, either way. Um, and 
it might be in a way for the people who might never sit in these seats. Um, but hopefully, God willing. So the other word that I want to suggest, we have conviction, and I also want to suggest sincerity. Okay? And I think if we're, if we're interested in other people's lives in a real way, I think we need both of those things. Um, I think that without conviction, we can't rightly share our faith. And without sincerity, I don't know if we should share our faith. Um, and I know there's a counterpoint to this. I know Paul talks about um, uh, kind of whether in pretense or truth the gospel is spread, and that, I, I know that's there. But there are two main points to this sermon. The first is for you, the church, and this is it. One day, everything will be revealed. And on that day, our conviction and our sincerity will be shown for what it is. To be honest, I'm not prepared. Well, I hope I'm prepared. I'm not sure if I'm prepared. Probably I'm not for that kind of examination. I might just be like the man who survives, but as a man running through the burning ruins of his home. And Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10, or starting at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. Which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will um, test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And I think, to me, it's really important that uh, part of that sincerity is the question of self-interest. And, um, and I think, to me, it's very tempting to look at other people's lives with that sense of self-interest. I want more people on my team. I want more whatever. And, and I think that's just, that's just straw and stubble that will be burned away on that day. And, and we need to ask ourselves, do we sincerely care? And care is too weak of a word. Do we sincerely love those people? Because Jesus does. Okay, so um, now my second message, or second point, is, is really not so much for the church. If I'm being perfectly honest, there are probably a hundred or more people that I hope hear my words, people that I know, and, um, and I know it's unfair. I should have just said it the first time. I should call them up and say it, but I think also, I guess I feel confident that this, this is the sermon that I should give right now, and I just have to trust that. So let me tell you a few stories. And in doing so, I hope that two things are accomplished. First, I hope you will forgive my weaknesses. And second, I hope that you see something more. I hope that in the glimmers of conviction and sincerity, you realize something profound and something compelling. There's something real in me that comes not from me. We carry Christ within us to the world. Okay. so. The first one 
I don't even know his name. I'm sure in the moment I knew his name. But let me tell you a story. And and I'm, I have him kind of in my notes, just kind of uh, bullet pointed, if you will. And, and it's the man on the trail. And so uh, this happened probably, well, it happened before we came to Cape Cod. And if I recall correctly, just before Cape, we came to Cape Cod, we were, uh, you know, our family was in um, California in the Sacramento area visiting my in-laws. And, um, and uh, you may or may not know, but I, I like to run. Um, I don't do it uh, as much as I'd like to. And um, there was a time where Nick Prisco and I, we were competing. We had apps, and it would show. And then he went to South Africa, and I got way ahead of him. So um, that one's for you, Nick. You got some, you got some miles. Um, and, um, and so I was running, which summer, I'm on vacation. I got plenty of time to do it. I, um, it's in the Sacramento Valley area, it's blazingly hot. You gotta go early or else you're never gonna make it back. You're gonna just die of thirst on the road. Um, but uh, where my in-laws live, it's a really nice area. There's a whole bunch of golf um, courses. There's a river, a wood bridge, it's super cool. And so I'm running along and uh, I can't even remember if I was listening to music, probably I was, I like to do that. Um, and I passed this guy and I don't, know how to describe it but I just suddenly felt very strongly like I needed to tell that man Jesus loves you has that ever happened to you something like that um, it surprised me and uh, I, you know I want to be very clear here it's not like I heard a voice Dylan tell that man Jesus loves you I just I felt something and I can't even like if you were to say well explain the reasoning what I, I couldn't um, and, and you know what my first reaction was? Keep running. Keep running. Um, I realized, like, I, I'm questioning my sanity at this moment. Like, you know, who does that? Who walks up to random strangers and says, Jesus loves you? And so I, I ran. But it was kind of like that, uh, there's like, that, you know, that little cartoon where you're just running and you're just kind of going slower and slower. And you feel like this force pulling you back. And you just, I, I just couldn't get rid of the sense that that's what I needed to do. And, um, and I really didn't want to, um, which I think, well, I'll comment on that in a minute. Um, so I finally just reached the point, I'm like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I can't see him anymore. I've been running for, I don't know, probably like an eighth of a mile. I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn around and run the other way. And if I see him walking towards me, then I will go talk to him. Good old um, uh, Gideon kind of proposal there. Like, let me just see if that I can get out of this if, if the weather is different. Um, but wouldn't you know it, there he was, walking the way towards me. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I walk up to him, and I, I start a conversation with him. And, um, and it was really interesting. You know what? Um, he's a really nice guy, did not look at me weird or anything that, you know, who is this random person just stops running and walks up and starts talking to you. Um, honestly, if anything, he just kind of seemed happy to have a conversation. We talked about, I think, video games, if I recall correctly, for a little bit. And because I didn't start out from the gate and didn't, you know, Jesus loves you and run away kind of thing. Um, but uh, my impression, honestly, is um, that he had some kind of mental handicap. Um, I could be wrong, 
but that was just my impression. And, and he was super friendly. Um, and you know, we talked for a few minutes, and then I'm like, you know, man, I just, I said it super casually, kind of slipped in, you know, I just, just want to let you know Jesus loves you. I don't even remember what he said back to that. He was probably very polite. Maybe that's nice. I, I don't remember. Um, and I just felt like, oh, yes, I did what I was supposed to do here kind of thing. And um, so the conversation ended in some kind of natural way, and, and off I ran. And I think that's kind of funny in retrospect, you know, tell somebody Jesus loves you and then run. Uh, that's exactly what I did. Um, and, and as I was running off back, you know, on the trails, I was thinking to myself, why? Why did God do that? Why did he ask me to talk to that guy? I just couldn't see, and, and I'm perfectly willing to say, maybe I just can't see, right? I couldn't see what changed. Um, and, and I think, you know, I felt the sense, and, and I want to be very careful. You're like, in my notes, I have it quoted as if God was speaking to me, and I'm not saying that's how I, I hear God, like, oh, hmm, quotes, God just said, but I'm going to say it that way to you, and, and I just... I'm just saying it's narrated, but really this is the sense I got, and, and I got the sense that, Dylan, you feel that was hard to do? Yes, God, that was no walk in the park. Little pun for you, that didn't, I didn't actually say that at that moment. Um, it was a walk in the park, we were literally, anyways. <clears throat> Dylan, I chose the easiest person I could possibly find for you to talk to. Wow. That's pretty humbling. And, and I, I felt just like, wow, if that's the easiest person, I felt it was so hard to do. That's an important thing for me to realize. I think it's super easy in our imaginations to think we're superheroes. I don't know, do you do that? Sometimes I do, you know, like the bad guys come to your house and you're just like you know, karate chopping them or whatever to get them out of your house. I think we can do that sometimes even on a spiritual sense, like, oh, I could convince him. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Um, but here God really humbled me and, and made me realize like the easiest person in the world, you could hardly, you could hardly talk to them. And, um, and I just, this is what I wish I had said in addition. And, and I'm saying it now. And that's, I think, important. I may never have a conversation with that person again, honestly. If I do, it is certainly only by God's grace, will, and ability. Um, but this is what I wish I had said. You know, it's really hard to share the gospel. When I do that, I expect to be laughed at. And I haven't been to heaven. I haven't seen the literal face of God. I didn't walk with Jesus 2,000 years ago. I am not God's best representative. I might, just like Peter, deny the Christ when my life is on the line. I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope not, but I don't know. Still, I have spent countless nights in God's presence. That's real. I have learned that it is better to see Jesus with my heart than with my eyes. And I know two things with deep, deep certainty. 
Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you. I know that. That's what I wish I had said then. But I'm saying it now. All right. Story number two. This one's about uh, a man named Bobby. And um, Brittany and I knew him. He was a teacher. And um, we'd have uh, him and his girlfriend over for dinner sometimes. And um, Bobby was a smart man. Bobby was a TOK teacher. Watch out. Um, really nice guy, though. And, um, and he was the kind of guy who, um, I believe, if I recall correctly, and, and that's, I'm just going to put that out there. You know, a lot of these are, there's a lot of time between this memory and now. And, and so my apologies to anyone, to everyone, if my memory is inaccurate in any way, shape, or form. Very likely. But uh, this is the way I remember it. I remember um, Bobby was an atheist, um, friendly about it very, you know, willing to talk about it. Uh, in a way, I think a lot of atheists are actually very interested in talking about religious things because, I don't know, that just has been my impression sometimes. Um, and so we were having dinner and somehow we got on religious topics and um, I remember this part very clearly. He looked at me and he said, uh, you believe you're a child of God, right? Yes, I replied. And you know what he did then? put his hand on his chest, and he said, am I a child of God? What a fabulous question. Rhetorically speaking, man. Well played. Uh, if I recall correctly, um, well, like I said, Bobby taught TOK. Be very careful if you're having a conversation with a TOK teacher. Man, they don't play by the rules at all. Um, and I just think it's an excellent question. I think that the riddle of it is that on one hand, if I say yes, then I'm nullifying the unique Christian identity. He just pointed out that I'm a child of God, and, and now he's putting me in the very awkward situation where apparently I'm supposed to say that he's not a child of God. And, uh, and that's just, that just sounds like a horrible thing to say. To sever that human connection between our unique relationship with God. I don't remember my answer, but I feel like if it was a debate, he got the point. Um, and I want to be clear here. I want to be very clear. It's not a debate. I don't care if I win. It's not about winning. It's about people. It's about our soul. It's about what we do in relationship to God. Who cares if we win? I think in that sense, uh, we have to remember that God, he owns, well, he owns Bobby's soul. He owns my soul. And he owns all of yours. I think that uh, we should remember that a single soul of one human is worth more than the soul of America. America is a temporary thing. It will pass away. Humans, our souls, we're designed to be eternal. And every eternal thing, I believe, every eternal thing is worth more than every temporary thing. So, 
this is what I really wish I had said to Bobby. I think, you know, it was one of those conversations you think about it afterwards, days, weeks, months, years later. And I, I wish I had said something like this. Yes, Bobby, you are a child of God. But it seems to me that you're trying to throw that away. What sort of child does not even acknowledge his own father? I think that there are many who resent God because he doesn't show us his fatherhood. And yet, how can you see his fatherhood when you cannot even see your own status as a child of God, as a son or a daughter? Bobby, I've learned to say to God, even Daddy. We may both be children of God, but my father is warm and close and kind. And though we speak of the same person, yours seems cold and distant and harsh. Because you call him only something like the man upstairs. Try calling him father and see what happens. So that's Bobby. Man, I wish I had said that to Bobby. I'm sure he would have had some great response and uh, who knows what it meant, but... Uh, that's why I get to say it now. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get any airtime right now. So, um, But I really enjoyed my conversations with Bobby, and I think it's important to point out here, I liked Bobby. I think he, I, I would consider him a friend. I haven't talked to him in years, but the time we shared, I think it was great. And I think, again, if we don't care about other people, then maybe we should sit down and, I guess, pray. All right, can I tell you a couple more? Hopefully these are interesting. I think stories are interesting. Um, like I feel like as a teacher, I have a few stories up your sleeve because, man, you, when you're stuck in the middle of a lesson, you have nothing else to say. Um, so, I, and I just want to acknowledge, I know this is unconventional, and, and it does one of those things I hate in sermons where it's like the, the word is kind of the back and then the, the stories are the front. So, I, I guess I'll just point out that sometimes maybe we need an unconventional sermon. You know, uh, Jesus gave a sermon. He gave a few, obviously. But, but one of them he gave was in the town of Nazareth. It was his hometown. And uh, they gave him the scroll, and he read from Isaiah 61. And this is what he said. Or this is what he read, excuse me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was his scripture that he read. And then this was his analysis. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you think about it, that's a very unusual way to analyze scripture. And I would not dare do it because I am not Jesus. But Jesus, he was saying to them, let me show you the realness of these words. So, uh, just in defense of unconventional sermons, I, I show that to you, and I think I also just throw it in because we need to hear Jesus say that. That Jesus is 
here to save, here to give sight, here to liberate the captives. All right. Um, the next person that I would like to share with you, and, and again, I, I just want to be as honest as possible. These are all real people. Memory's a little fuzzy, but these are moments that, that stuck with me. And these are conversations that I really believe God put me in the path of, in part for them in that moment, and, and I guess maybe in part for this moment. Um, so this person's name is Katie, I think. Um, I could be wrong. It's been a while. Um, so when I was a sophomore in college, I took an astronomy class. That's a really fun class, by the way look at stars and you can take one of those really powerful laser pointers and point at the sky and it actually is like point at stars. It's weird you can do that. Anyways, um, and there was a lab where we drove about an hour north to take pictures of stars. Really cool. Um, it's kind of fun when your final is like they hand you back all of your photos developed. You're like, wow, the stars, which God made a lot of beauty there. Um, so uh, one time we commuted up to uh, this hour, I don't even think it was that many labs, but for whatever reason, Katie needed a ride. I said, hey, I could drive you, and, and up we went. And, and so we, um, she got in the car, and almost immediately she knew as I, I was a Christian. You wanna know how? All of the CD cases. So those things, they're probably not around anymore, but look at that. You can use even a CD case to sh say that you're, you're a Christian. And, um, and what was interesting is uh, that kind of sparked conversation almost immediately. If I recall correctly, she was in, uh, she was basically former Jehovah's Witness, and, and I felt like she had kind of a chip on her shoulder against religion. And, and she wasn't being like antagonistic or anything, but just like in her mind, like, how could you possibly believe it? That was kind of the sense that I got. And so we were driving along, and, and I was, we were, I suppose, co-captive audiences in that moment because, you know, I have an hour-long drive and, and let's chat kind of thing. And, um, and I think the main part that I want to focus on in that conversation, again, I don't remember all of it, the parts that I think are most important are the ones that stick. The main part is uh, this part where she, she just turned to me and said, well, okay, if you died, and in some kind of absolute way, say a banner flying in front of your vision that said, there is no God, you would absolutely, infallibly, in some, which again, we can't do that, but if you did, if you knew after the outcome that you were wrong, would you go back and be a Christian anyways? I thought that's a fabulous question. And, um, and I think we, the church, should want people to ask great, difficult, hard questions. If we can only answer the easy, trivial ones, if we can only point them to things that we don't understand, and again, I don't know, um, I think that's a great question. And, um, and I think that that's the kind of question that if somebody pulls at it long enough, they might just end up right in God's word and right at God's presence. And if I could boil her question down to its base elements, I think I might put it this way. Does your faith even care about the outcome? Does it matter what's real? And I said to her, if I in some infallible way 
knew that God does not exist, I would not waste my time with an imaginary God. Now, that sounds very weird saying from the pulpit, but again, that infallibility doesn't exist. But my point in response to her is, yeah, honesty matters. Reality matters. I wouldn't believe in a fake God. I'm not interested in fake gods. So, um, so I, I think I did say something like that, and I feel honestly, I feel perfectly fine with that. Um, because again, I'm not interested in fake gods. Um, but it does lead me to this kind of uh, what I wish I would have said in addition to that. All right. Um, and I feel it would be only fair because she asked me this question, what could I say in response? Um, and it goes like this. I would not believe in imaginary God, but isn't it interesting that my life is profoundly different, profoundly better for believing in God? I shudder to think what my life would be without God. I think, without exaggeration, I would be a lying, cheating, snarky, uppity, easily frustrated jerk. Would I still be married? Would I even have kids? Do you suppose that if I weren't a Christian, that I would love my family more? If my God is imaginary, made up, a mere tradition, then why is he so valuable? Why is he sacred in my heart? Why does the thought of sacrifice bring me to tears sometimes? And where does this ability to love even strangers come from? I do sincerely believe in Christ, but not as a man who owns a barren dirt field with some empty promise that it's going to magically grow a beanstalk. No, I already see shoots of true life bubbling up from that dirt. And so this idea that if I could go back and live a non-Christian life because I know Christ isn't real, that would be so tragic. And Paul says it kind of this way in one of his letters. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 13, this one, I think I'm actually going to open my Bible because, man, these letters, they're ghost letters, honestly. Um, okay. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. All right. You know what, I'll actually just even go back one, because I think, again, this is an important question, you know. Did Christ raise from the dead? That's, that's a really important question. So, uh, starting at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people 
most to be pitied. And I just think that's interesting. That we would be most to be pitied. And, um, and I think that's important. Again, just that, the realness of that question. All right, I'm, I only got nine minutes left. Oh boy, um, I might have to cut out some stories or Zoom or I don't know. Um, but let's see. Um, I, just, I have two more people in mind that I just want to tell you briefly about. And, um, and then I'll wrap up. And uh, I hope I make it worth your time. And I, again, I hope that, uh, I just hope that, that I can make the heart of Christ visible through this. All right. So uh, the next person I want to bring up is a man named CJ. And uh, CJ is in heaven. I believe that very firmly. Uh, we knew CJ when we lived in Salinas, California. Uh, we, we have been blessed, honestly, to find many good churches. And we, we knew CJ from our church in um, Salinas. And, um, and we did a Bible study with him Sunday mornings before church. This was before we had kids, so that was like a feasible thing to do. Um, I it'd take a lot of motivation to do a Bible study Sunday morning now. Um, but someday our kids will get older. And I just remember that uh, he had this just very gentle demeanor about him. I remember him telling once this story about um, this young man that he was discipling. He was basically doing kind of what Richard does, a little kind of um, a little uh, sermonette. Um, and he, he talked about this young man, and he went to see this young man at a football game. And uh, the young man wanted him to, of course, come and see him play football. and and for whatever reason, the circumstances happened that uh, CJ was at the game, and he saw the young man, uh, but the young man was playing and, and did not see CJ. And afterwards, they were, I think it was text, you know, talking about it, and CJ's like, yeah, I saw you. And, and the young man's like, oh, man, I just wish I had been able to see you. And, and CJ just responded with this, well, it's not so important that you had seen me, but rather that I was able to watch you. Like, you didn't need to know that I was watching you in order for me to be watching you. And I just love that, because I think that's really what we get with God sometimes. He watches us, and that's the important part. Not always that we see him watching us. And I think even like with my own children, there's places I'm at, like maybe the mall, and one of them runs off ahead, and I could see somebody looking at that kid going like, Is, who's got this kid? And you know, off at a distance, like, no, I do. And I know that might not appear in the moment that I do, but if anything happened, I would be at that kid's side in a moment. And I think we need to be aware that, that God's like that. And I just, again, I think CJ was the kind of man who could say things like that. And I remember once he said that uh, he didn't have a computer in his house because the internet was too much of a temptation. And I thought to myself, that is some conviction. How many of us are willing to throw, if necessary, that box outside? So that was the kind of man he was. And, and then suddenly, quite startlingly, he, he died um, with really um, no forewarning whatsoever. And that just is jarring. Uh, and, um, and this is where I'm actually going to get to the, uh, the, the 
biggest chunk of scripture. And the part that I really wanted to get to, kind of in, to tie all this together, it's in Luke chapter 16. And it's a story about Lazarus, but it's not the, the famous Lazarus. Um, and, um, and I think it's one of those ones, you have to be thoughtful preaching it from the pulpit because it's one of the few places where it actually talks about hell. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not actually interested in talking about that part. That's not the point, although it, it is a little bit in there. So Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And, um, and again, why am I saying this in relation to CJ? I'm saying it in relation to CJ because um, CJ knows what we don't know. And, and here's what it says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and, carried, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Let's see, yep, I want to keep going. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am anguish in the flame. I want to pause there for a second. It's very tempting to look at this and go, oh, this is a story about karma. Poor Lazarus is finally getting his thing and this rich guy is finally getting come up and that's not what I'm interested in. And I think, honestly, that's... that's that's kind of unbiblical to look at it that way. The rich man is not where he's at because he was rich, and the poor man is not where he's at because he's poor. No. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you, in your lifetime, received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear that. You see, let me hear them. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And honestly, that last verse is the one I'm most interested in. We can, we can leave all the details that really we don't get to see very clear pictures of aside. And, and I just think, wow, that's profound. Okay, There are two Lazaruses in the Bible. I think of, that I think of. Somebody can correct me if there's another one. That, but. Um, there's Lazarus, Jesus' friend, who also died and was raised from the dead. And then there's this parable version of Lazarus. Now, what's really interesting about the other Lazarus, the one who was Jesus' friend who died and was raised from the dead, some people saw that and were amazed and declared that Jesus 
was the Christ. Some people saw that and were amazed and decided it was time to kill Jesus. That's kind of amazing. And I think the, 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 the piece here that we get is that for some people, even seeing the dead raised is not enough. And, and so my point here is that someday all of these questions are going to be clarified. For CJ, these are not things we debate. He's in heaven. But I guess the counterpoint to me saying to Katie, yes, I sincerely believe what I believe, is posing the question back and saying, do you sincerely disbelieve? Do you disbelieve because you have searched and searched with all honesty for God and can't find him? Or do you disbelieve and you have already chosen to disbelieve before anything else, such that even the dead being raised is not enough evidence? Because if you do, then this is, this is the warning. The warning is you disbelieve in such a way that it is impossible for you to accept Christ. But uh, I, again, I think just that's my caution to, to the person. And I don't even know if I have the courage to say that to somebody's face. Like, man, you disbelieve in a very fake way. You need to think about this before you truly disbelieve. But I think sometimes that's actually what we need to say. We sincerely believe. We should check ourselves and make sure we sincerely believe. But if you disbelieve in a way that you've chosen before any evidence, then you have put yourself in a very dangerous spot. All right, um, okay, I'm gonna just breeze through this last one. I think there's one really kind of important final piece. And again, this is not a full tapestry that captures everything that all those conversations, and I hope, I hope that each one of you have thought of conversations you've had in the past with people, and you've thought about what you're proud of what you said in those moments, and also what you aren't proud of, which I suppose, let's be honest here, that the word is ashamed. Um, sometimes we need to acknowledge that we're ashamed of something that we did in the past, that we let God down. I remember this one time, I, I felt very similar to, um, that man on the trail, and, and I didn't go talk to that person. And um, I regret that. I know that God's grace is sufficient, that, that he will use whatever tools he must use. But um, OK, so this last person's name is Mary. Her name is not actually Mary, but I will call her Mary. Um, and, and Mary was kind of, uh, she, I didn't even think of Mary at first when I was um, preaching or writing the sermon notes. Um, and then out of CJ, it kind of, uh, it, I remembered it. And I want to just share this last person with you. Because Mary is the other side of CJ. Mary is really what I was in relation to CJ. Mary had a friend who just suddenly passed away. And that's a very shocking thing, again. Um, and, and what happened was we were on a field trip with students. And just by chance, we sat down at the same table for lunch. And we started talking. And, um, and Mary mentioned this. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Like, that's really hard. And, and, and Mary um, really wanted the Christian perspective. You know, what happens when people die? What happens? You know, all of that. And, and so I, I just, again, 
you should be prepared because sometimes these things just fall in your lap. And, um, and so I had this moment where I could share large portions of the gospel as far as what do Christians believe. And it's called the gospel because it's good. But, um, but I think what Mary revealed to me in that moment is something that uh, we should just be aware of, and that's that uh, sometimes we have what we think is our faith all lined up and everything's good, and then something happens and the bottom falls out of it. And we realize how little we actually have our explanations, our faith, our convictions in order. And so Mary wanted to know. And so we were chatting, and, and I told her that. And then the part I remember most clearly is that another teacher walked up, and, um, and that person, as far as I know, was not a Christian. And, and oh, man, I was just like, oh, I just really wanted that moment to be like, can we just talk over here? But I didn't do that. I think that was probably the most correct thing. Anyways. Um, and, and, and one of the issues that, that Mary wanted to know about is this idea of, like, am I good enough to get to heaven? And I think that's a really important question because I think it's just really hard for us not to be selfishly thinking about that. And uh, I remember the other teacher saying, well, do you think you're a good person? And I thought to myself, I don't know if I actually thought this in the exact moment, but like, whew, what a deadly question. Do you think you're good enough to get to heaven? It's kind of scary if you do. And I would point out that before you answer that question, you might just try on, do you feel like you are a righteous person? I think it's a lot easier to say, I'm a good person, than it is to say, I'm a righteous person. And I think the answer from the Christian standpoint is, I take Jesus Christ's righteousness over mine. Mine is filthy rags. Um, and so uh, what was really cool is that conversation kind of ended, you know, we were busy doing things, it was work. Um, and then later, um, across the parking lot, uh, Mary said, oh, I don't think, I know that we need to finish that conversation, Dylan. And I was like, I heartily agree. That was like nine months ago, so we should probably invite Mary and her family over for dinner. That'd be really great. Um, and uh, I guess in this moment, what I would like to say is this. The idea that we can be good enough is, I'm sorry to put it bluntly, a cruel lie. And it has nothing real to anchor it. If you look in the Holy Scriptures, you will not find that idea. And, and if you think about it, even if you were to sample larger scopes of religions and such, really, no. There's a lot of kind of mumbo-jumbo religion out there. And the good enough to get into heaven is, I'm sorry to tell you, mumbo-jumbo religion. So don't believe that lie. The truth is better. And um, really, I think, just to kind of wrap things up, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, really puts it nice. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So those are the conversations that I have in mind that I just wanted to, um, to share with you today. And, and I hope that as the church, it just sparks you to think about the people and, and what, you, what you might honestly want to say to people. Again, let's be gracious. But just think about that. And, and I think that the hard part of the gospel sometimes is that we really have to acknowledge that our human ways are wrong and that what we think about God without his guidance is, is going to be very wrong. But I'll just kind of conclude on this note that when Jesus started his ministry and he began preaching, he would say this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I've thought about that phrase, at hand, a lot. What does it mean, at hand? I mean, that sounds very English phrasey anyways, but what does that mean to us? And I think, I think that we have to see it both pieces. We do need to repent, but it is at hand. And, and that means Jesus unbelievably gave us access to, honestly, the eternal and the holy and the righteous and the good. And so to, to those people who feel like suicide doesn't seem like a, such a horrible thing, suicide seems like a great option this moment, I just would point out, before you think that, ask yourself, have you honestly looked for God. Have you honestly taken a look at Jesus? Because his message is, I'm here for you. I love you. And I'll conclude there. So uh, maybe we'll just close in prayer real quick and, um, and we'll just close in prayer. All right. Father God, I thank you for today and I just thank you for your presence in this building and in our world and in our lives. And I thank you that you did die for us on a cross, that even though we are not good enough, you would give us your goodness. And I just pray, God, again, that, that you would give these, these words to the right person at the right time. And I pray that over and above these words, you would do what you do, and that you would uh, speak to hearts, and that that people would turn to you. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.